I'm Kristen Elman, Senior Director of Leadership with Unbound Ed. We are privileged today to have Doug Sovdi, the Executive Director for Strategic Mathematics Initiatives for Unbound Ed. Before joining Unbound Ed, Doug played a major role in the development of the Common Core State Standards and in the design of the math assessments for one of the multi-state assessment consortia. Here at Unbound Ed, Doug has been working with school leaders across the nation to support effective math instruction, particularly for students performing below grade level. Doug, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So let's start first. Let's talk a little bit about the implementation of the standards. And as far as leadership is concerned, what trends have you noticed, Doug? I get to travel around good portions of the United States, and I get to see implementation happening in a variety of different ways. Right, at different levels. But one constant theme has been, and I think this is to the credit of right, public school leaders in this country, is a lot of leaning in right, on coming to understand the standards and coming to understand effective ways to implement the standards in supporting staff right, and getting better at understanding and implementing the standards. Doesn't mean that there isn't room for growth, right? We have, we certainly have some distance to go. But I've seen sort of a common trend has been, you know, a first run at the at the math standards of unpacking them, right? Comparing them to previous sets of standards, comparing them to previous documents, right? That have been, you know, guiding curricular documents uh, for staff uh, to see what's different. Right? How are the standards different? What does that mean in terms of our instructional materials and in terms of teaching, right, pedagogy? In, in many cases, I, I think that's a great start, right? You always have to go back, right, to what are the expectations for kids. But it often, I often see it stall there also. And I think that's frankly due in large part to um, sort of a, an anti-intellectualism that runs through the country, particularly around mathematics, right, or math phobia right, as we often hear. And, and it's an opportunity, again, I think, for leaders, um, teachers, coaches, you know, district-level leaders to lean in further, right, understand the, understand the math, go back to school a little bit themselves. So how have leaders then moved forward with the implementation of the yeah, higher I mean, standards? I think, I think the effective ones, right? The mm-hmm. ones who are finding success are systematizing what they're learning, right? They're putting, which is to say that what they're learning, they're then adjusting the system to match. For example, a lot, you know, a lot of school districts are picking up high quality instructional materials based on the standards. Not all are. Uh, some are still making some decisions that I think are, are based not on, right, their alignment to the standards, but other uh, needs in the district. But uh, the ones who are effective are starting to make some, right, some systemic, if we look at the entire district, some systemic moves. But even at the building level, right, you know, the, the development of professional learning communities that are doing deep studies of the standards uh, or even deep studies of curricular materials to understand the content that's in them, right, both the prior content and the later content. These are places where I've seen the greatest uptick, right, places where people are comfortable with the content. They're comfortable making adjustments to the content based on um, what their kids are bringing to them, right? Making sure that the kids are meeting the mark. Yeah, so that kind of, that you were getting a jump a little bit on my next question, which was what you've noticed about how leaders are using and spending their time in school. So you mentioned about teachers in PLCs mm-hmm. and studying the content. Mm-hmm. So how are the leaders spending their time in schools? Uh, yeah, the 
the again the who are the doing if, this well. yeah the ones who are doing it well are spending their time in classrooms mm-hmm. right they're um, positioning themselves as co-learners right with teachers around the standards you know they're positioning themselves as uh, coaches and supports around effective instructional techniques to support teachers making sure kids are learning the content that's in the standards they're participating on instructional materials adoption committees right they are organizing with other principals to make sure that there's a common approach across their district or their network right to make sure they're they're looking at the content in the same ways and thinking about what student performance should look like in similar ways you know in other words they're completely immersing themselves in the work of teaching and learning which we know is not easy right for leaders in school systems they have their hands full with lots of other issues too and is that different than what you saw before the standards were adopted i think so mm-hmm. yeah again not in all places i don't want to right paint with too broad a brush but you know content knowledge was i think to a large degree not necessarily a high expectation that leaders had for everybody in the system, right? It was either accepted, particularly in the case of mathematics, right? It was either accepted that people may not know all of the math and that's okay, do the best that you can and right, here are some materials to help you out, right? Or, you know, in worst cases, right, maybe, you know, it wasn't taken on at all. Uh, What I've seen with the standards, though, the implementation of these, you know, more in-depth, more thoughtful standards uh, is, again, sort of a clarion call that everybody needs to know the content, right? And it's hard, right? Especially given that so many of us, talking about people of a certain age, right, came from a math educational experience where um, the kinds of expectations that are in the standards were, we didn't benefit from. We didn't benefit from um, spending a lot of time coming to understand concepts. We didn't benefit from learning how to be novel problem solvers or how to model real life situations with mathematics. We learn how to expertly use tips and tricks if we were successful. And if we weren't successful, then, you know, crash and burn at some point when we get to the mathematics, stop taking it all together, uh, rue it, right? Continue the, you know, perpetuate the, the myth that math is for some, right, and not for all. You know, so it's, you know, I have a lot of, um, a lot of compassion, right, for those in the field who are making the effort to come to know the content in order to support kids. Let's look a little bit Let's talk a little bit more about the standards themselves, because one of the features that make the standards unique is that there are content standards Mm -hmm. and practice standards. Mm -hmm. And let's talk a little bit about the practices. Mm -hmm. How should principals and administrators be thinking about the way these two sets of standards work together? The very first rule of thumb around this particular issue is, you know, the practices and the content standards are inextricably intertwined. Right, we don't separate them from each other. You know, there there's a there are common habits of tagging, right, various materials with this practice or that practice, um, which is fine, right? It's a it's a good first step, but I think in some ways it can impoverish, right? What's actually in the practices, right? The the, the reason they're called they were originally called habits of mind, by the way, they were not called practices in the original end of high school benchmarks. But that name came along as the work happened as a Right, it's a metaphor not dissimilar from the law. The law is practiced, right? It's evolving all the time. It's growing all the time, just as students' competencies with the practices are growing all the time. They are, they are very easy to ignore 
I'll say that, right? Particularly, again, given the history that we live with in math education. But, you know, when they are attended to, when a teacher stops, it's almost like a, like a metacognition, right? Where the teacher will stop and say, let's talk about what we just did, right? Let's talk about how we used structure to understand place value in this particular case. And, and let's talk about how else we can use structure to make sense of different situations. You know, modeling with mathematics, right, has, um, which, is, which is practice, I think it's practice number four, you know, has oftentimes been, you know, and still sometimes I worry, right, gets relegated to story problems. Let's just look at a story problem. You know, it's maybe the very surface level of modeling. But, you know, to, to understand the practices deeply is to help students immerse themselves in the discipline, is to help them persevere in solving problems. It is to help them, you know, see patterns in mathematics as they are, right, we call it repeated reasoning, right, but to, you know, see how different ideas can repeat themselves or different patterns can emerge, right, from different situations. And I, look, I think they offer a wonderful opportunity. They are, I'll, I'll admit, they are for me when coupled with the content sort of the nirvana, right, of math education, right? That this is, this is when great things are happening for kids, when teachers are attending to the practices alongside the content. And so just to follow up then, how should, if principals and administrators understand that, then what should they be seeing in their classroom? Yeah, yeah, they should be seeing kids struggling productively. Um, they should be seeing teachers uh, managing the confusion in the room so that it's, you know, things are not spoon-fed to kids, but kids, particularly when it comes to working on tasks, um, but kids are asked, you know, to struggle a little bit with tasks. You know, not to the point where it's unproductive, where they're so frustrated that they can't engage any further, but certainly to the point where teachers are helping them make sense of what's happening in the task and get a foothold on what's happening in the task. I had an opportunity to work with a student. I don't get to do this very often anymore, but I got a, an opportunity to work with a student um, a few weeks ago, right, who was struggling with a piece of content that he knew, but he didn't know he knew. And there was certainly, you know, an instinct, you know, even I had the instinct to bail him out, to say, just do it, this is it, this, this is what you do. We took a chance together, and I said, well, what do you know that could be helpful here, right? And that's looking for making use of structure, right? That's persevering and solving the problem. And as he worked through the task and found out, in fact, he did know what was going on. He didn't know how to approach the problem, right? Then we got to talk about issues of precision. You know, as we worked through the problem, there was, um, you know, another opportunity presented itself to shift to issues of precision, right? Where the, you know, the student was approaching the problem correctly, but getting wrong answers because of a lack of precision, right? In attending to how he was working through the task. So, you know, when I feel good about the experience because, you know, the, the student left knowing more than just math, right? The student left knowing how to approach a novel problem based on what he had already learned. So those are the things, right? That, that's what I would expect leaders to see happening in a classroom is, you know, teachers coupling the content with how the content operates, how it progresses, how it, you know, is interconnected with other ideas. So let's stay with that struggling piece. And but talk about the organization of instruction in a school mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
and how can we organize instruction so that we can help students who are struggling with grade level content? Mm. Yeah, I'm going to be a, a little heretical here, right? So we talk in the standards about focus. The, the, this is true in both math and ELA. You know, in math, focus winds up meeting, right? What is the major work of the grade, right? That teachers and students should be spending most of their time um, learning and mastering, right? What's supporting content that can help them make sense of that and what is additional content that they need to make sure they attend to, particularly as they move through the grades. You know, if I were still teaching, right? Or I, was, or I were still leading and I had large groups of students who were not able to access grade level content because they had not mastered prior grade level content, then I would, I would look to you know, institute or work with staff or do so in my own classroom uh, just in time instruction of prerequisite knowledge. When I first started teaching, when I was a brand new teacher, I remember being so frustrated about kids not knowing what they should have been taught. Right, oh, you should learn that in middle school. You shouldn't learn that in elementary school. I can't believe I'm having to reteach this, right? And yet, in some ways, I think we should allow ourselves to wade into that situation and actually use it as, a, as an asset. How can I do some prerequisite instruction that is directly relevant to what I'm about to teach in order to accelerate the student to where I need them in order for them to then learn the new content? Um, we call it coherent content in context, right? That I'm using you know, earlier content that is coherent with what I'm about to teach in the context of what specifically I'm trying to get at that day. The organization of the instruction, does it happen in a block? Does it happen, is there a certain sequence of events that should happen for kids? You know, across the year, I would expect, you know, the program to continue to emphasize the major work of the grade, right? Continue to, you know, really double down on that and make sure kids are getting uh, lots of opportunities to master that content. But I would... I would also expect, if many kids are behind, that the, the instructional path would be organized so that there was time intentionally built in for students to relearn key concepts before they dig into new ideas. And if they, and if it's, if they hadn't learned it before, then actually learn it right for the first time, the key concepts that precede um, the grade level instruction, whether that's an entire lesson right, or, or a couple of days of lessons. Now, mind you, I'm not talking about six weeks of review, right, or even four weeks of review, right? We, that, there's nothing coherent about that. In, in the end, all we do is spend time helping students forget again, right, because there's no coherence to it. So uh, parsing that out, you know, in just-in-time instruction, if we took, um, let's say it's a 180-day school year, and let's say we only get 165 days of actual instructional days, right, because we're going to subtract out all the other things, right, that happen to school, field trips, et cetera, snow days. If we say, you know, of those 165 days, let's devote only 100 days to to new instruction, right, to grade-level instruction, right? Right away, that means we may not get to all of it that year. So what we're going to do is prioritize the major work. We're going to get to the major work that year. We're going to make sure kids nail that. Because if we do that and then we take the other 65 days that we still have available to us and use that for just-in-time instruction that's sprinkled throughout the year. Now we've got kids, however many grade levels they were behind, we've got them accelerated back up to grade level. 
And then the following year, we get back into the full instructional program. So, so that's one way we can look at it for the entire year. For a specific lesson, right, suppose we, you know, mm-hmm. we're not in a position where we can give up an entire day, right, or devote an entire day to prerequisite instruction. If it's a single day or a single lesson, um, I would expect to see that a teacher is using, you know, a warm-up or an activator of some kind at the beginning of the lesson that activates prerequisite learning, right? It can also double as a formative assessment, mm-hmm. right, because we can see, oh, you know, I, I can now see what kids know and don't know from what they should have already learned, right? I can do a very brief mini lesson, right? Five minutes hitting the high points um, and then get into the new instruction, right? Because again, that's coherent, right? We're attending to the learning target of the day, but we're bringing up exactly what's needed at exactly the right moment. So that's a lot to think about mathematics and the Mac use at the macro level over the course of the year, which you described very mathematically and how to break it up. And then at the lesson level, so how can a principal, a building principal, create the conditions and structures mm-hmm. that support faculty yeah. to um, do this the yeah, way you're so, describing? Yeah, so um, look, frankly, I think this is an issue of managing up, right, as well as supporting, right, those, right, whom, whom, whom they supervise. And by managing up, what I mean is, you know, they're, you know, at that at that macro level, they're going to need to. This, there are political realities around taking on a school year that looks like that, an instructional year that looks like that. They're going to need to work with their curriculum directors. They're going to need to work with superintendent, the superintendent's cabinet, right? They're going to need to get the board involved, most likely, right, in order to create the political conditions to say we got to stop the bleeding. Right, we got. We have to get kids accelerated back up to grade level. We believe they can do it. We have high expectations for them. We're going to get them there. But there are some political realities around that, right? So some real leadership, you know, opportunities and challenges. Not in the schoolhouse per se. Um, in the schoolhouse, right? I mean, I, sometimes I think we just need to help teachers unshackle themselves a little bit from, you know, the, the textbook that's in front of them or the curricula, curriculum that's in front of them and figure out how to make it work for kids, right? And I think, you know, this is done in a variety of ways, that none of which I think is especially earth-shattering, right? But this is done through walkthroughs, right? This is done through individual, right, mm-hmm. observations. This is done through um, even sitting down with a department head and crafting a professional learning plan for the department for the year, which includes how can we embed just-in-time instruction to help kids get accelerated on, you know, each day. It involves knowing the curriculum before your grade level, right, maybe a little bit after your grade level too, so teachers can draw on content more easily. It involves knowing the full curriculum, and these things take time. They take time to learn. They take support. They take a safe environment of learning in the in the schoolhouse. And I think when when principals are thinking about creating those kinds of conditions or creating the conditions that are necessary to allow teachers to do that, they need to attend to these things. They need to right, be honest, be clear about what is it that we need to we need to address, right? right. And it's it's not mass review, right? It's just in time instruction. And for some of us, some of us do not have the math content expertise beyond a certain level. Mm -hmm. And so what can we do to support higher level instruction going on in the classrooms while we're skilling up ourselves? Yeah, sure. I want to spend just a moment talking about higher, right, and and what higher means. Historically, when it comes to math, uh, math education in this country, higher has meant faster, right? So we're going to do more content and we're going to do it faster. And I think 
one of the things that is very that I hope is clear to people about the standards is that's not what higher means in the standards. Higher means deeper, right? Understanding content at a, at a more completely, more comprehensively before we move on to the next thing. So if my advice to leaders who um, you know are still on their own path towards learning the mathematics is first hang in there right keep doing that good yeah. work lean into your own learning mm-hmm. right because you know if for no other reason you're gonna not be worried about it anymore mm-hmm. right your confidence level in having those conversations will go up which will make you you know more effective and, and frankly happier in the meantime there are lots of tools available um, and at the very least I would hope that uh, folks are availing themselves of those tools. Um, our website has a ton of them on them, right, that they can go visit. But I always point to the, our, you know, Unbound Ed's uh, content guides as a good start, as a really good start in any particular grade level to learn the content. Um, the progression documents are really helpful. There's a, a text also that I think is fairly widely known and distributed called Principles to Action. Uh, which takes the standards and helps to put them in a in a more active frame, you know. And these are these are things that you can learn ahead of time, right? Um, but there are also things that you can take on right before you go into a classroom, mm-hmm. right? Or right before you have a conversation, or or you participate in a PLC with the department, where you can read, uh, you know, what is most relevant to the work at hand, uh, and be prepared to go in and have some conversations. I think, as far as I recall, right, in in my reading of the psychology of leadership, it is not always easy for leaders to ask for help. We want to do it ourselves. We want to um, carry the weight of the world and and do it beautifully. And I think it's, especially when it comes to math education, it's time to, to ask for help right, to bring in those from the central office who can help you, to bring in um, outside expertise, to find expertise inside your building, right? I have never been to a building where none of the math department knew the standards. There are always funds of knowledge, right, inside the building, and be willing to take those on, right, be willing to leverage them. So, and then if a principal is seeking a professional learning opportunity, mm-hmm. out, perhaps outside of school, yeah, what characteristics should they look for? that would help them ramp up their skills to support implementation of the standards? Yeah, no quick fixes on this one. So I would, you know, I would encourage them to, I'm going to take this in two paths, right? One is about the math, but the other is about the students that we serve. In terms of the math itself, you know, I think they should be looking for opportunities to um, study the standards deeply, right? Understand what the content is in the standards. What exactly does place value mean? Right or what is a ratio, right? <laughs> and and learn right what that is right. That's a sixth grade concept, right? What is a ratio and and come to know that, um, you know this often you know runs into loggerheads in high school when we're in an algebra one or a geometry or an algebra two class where we're looking at you know, polynomial functions, right? Or we're thinking about the fundamental theorem of algebra, right? That these are, these are heady, weighty topics. And, you know, when, when you're looking at professional development, I think you need to be looking for something that attends to your problem of practice, which is knowing enough content to be able to ask the right questions, provide the right supports, find the right people to help you including looking at the standards deeply and how they are enacted, right, in different curricula, because they can look different, right, in different curricula. Um, so that's on the on the math side. I think in terms of the students that we serve, I'm going to be a little bold here, right, maybe, and encourage people to 
understand how race influences how kids learn in their school, right? It's, it is a real construct that really affects real kids. I was, in fact, I was just reading an article from um, PDK, the fact Delta Kappa, before coming here. And, you know, it, I have compassion, right, and understanding for leaders and, and, you know, educators who want to not attend to it, right, to see children in a colorblind way. I get it. But that doesn't serve the kids in the end, the kids of color in particular in the end, who do carry a heavier weight, And so, you know, leaning into learning more about diversity, equity, and inclusion, helping their staffs lean into that to learn more about it. That's not about math. That's about the kids that we work with. But I think when you put them together, when you learn the content, you learn about the kids that you're working with. You know, at least the the research that I was reading, you know, was fairly cut and dry, right, in its ability to provide um, some really great success for kids. If I'm a principal who is trying to change practice in my building, where would you suggest I start? And what best practices should I focus on right away to help improve math practice in my school? I would start by looking at the instructional materials. Mm -hmm. That is the very first place I would go. Um, I would try to understand, you know, edreports.org is a wonderful tool for this, right? Because not only does it tell you whether whether particular curricula align to the standards or not, but if it doesn't, it tells you where and why, right? Which, you know, in a, in a fiscal reality, you're not going to be able to, you know, turn, <laughs> take, get rid of whatever you're working, on, working with currently as a curriculum and bring something new in, right, at the drop of a hat. You're going to need to figure out really coherent ways to supplement or improve the materials that you have. And Ed Reports can be very helpful with that. So the first place I would go is toward, you know, the instructional materials. The second place I would go to is to think about issues of uh, discourse, right? You know, who's doing the talking in the room, right? Which is a, you know, sort of a, um, a stand-in or an or a avatar for who's doing the work in the room. You know, I think thinking about uh, questioning strategies is really important. And it's old, I know, right? It's not as sexy to talk about that anymore. When you're asking kids to make sense of problems and to persevere in solving them, when you're asking them to make use of structure, when you're asking them to take on, you know, concepts and work in multiple representations, um, asking them good questions takes you a very long way. So I think those are the, those are the places that, that I would start. Before I let you go, I was wondering if you'd share with us if you have seen any promising practices from leaders in schools recently, and then where you see the state of math instruction in five years. Yeah, I have. And, and I'll tell you the defining characteristic across the board of the good work right, that I've seen happening is it's a vulnerability to learn together to stand up and say, I may not know this as well as I want to, and I'm going to make the effort to learn it better so that we can teach it better, so that we can use our curricula better, right? So that we can respond to students' needs better, so that we can provide just-in-time instruction better. That all comes back to knowing the content, knowing what makes a good task, what makes a bad task. And it, it just, I think, really needs to be a place of learning. And I have seen so many leaders demonstrate that, especially those who um, attend standards institutes. They really show, right, they, they you know, open themselves up to learn new things and to be okay with not knowing all of it and, and moving in that direction because that's when they grow, 
right? And when they grow, their staffs ultimately grow, and their kids start doing better. And then the last, very last question is, what keeps you up at night? Yeah, I was joking that it's probably too many things, not the least of which my kids keep me up. (laughs) But, you know, in this work, I have seen a trend which, uh, which is disturbing to me. It has a lot of popular support, so I may be an outlier in it, but it is the turning over of math instruction to technology where curricula are, entire curricula are built around students working in front of computers, right, to learn content. And there are, the reason it concerns me is not because there's anything, you know, particularly wrong inherently, right, with technology as a tool in mathematics education. It is the, the limitations of that technology, right, that in nearly every tool that I have seen, two things are going on. Number one, the attention to conceptual understanding is impoverished, and the attention to really authentic, meaty, high-quality tasks is impoverished, right? Because they're very hard to score, right, by machines, that they require some human intervention. And the extent to which wholesale instruction is handed off to technology means that kids are not getting as rich an experience in those two areas as they could be. Um, The other is I worry about, you know, the, the detriment to the relational aspect of instruction. Kids flourish when they're connected to their teachers, when they're connected to other humans. And so I, I worry about some of the unintended effects of using technology um, to such a degree to um, help students learn mathematics. I think I should say the other thing that, that, that does keep me up at night is we haven't been able to move the needle yet on African-American students, on Latino-Hispanic students, on English language learners, on students with disabilities, right? We continue to see the, the same demographics performing in the same ways. And I think that continues to be the primary call of our vocation. We've got work to do. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time. And I really enjoyed chatting with you. Too. You too. Yeah, it's always fun.